You're listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. Welcome to Voices of Value, episode 21. Peter Kakos here, my good friend Rick Rushton. Welcome, Rick. Thank you, Pete. It's been an incredible start to the year, hasn't it? It has. We've had some amazing interviews, and maybe I missed a production meeting, but I'm wondering who our guest is today. No, it's a, it's a special guest, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, I, I guess it's something speaking to a lot of people out there in the field and and seeing the, the, the magical news that came onto uh, social media that you shared this week, Rick. Congratulations, first and foremost. You're going to be speaking at TEDx. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. And um, that's, uh, that's our studio audience. Oh, uh, that was just me, actually. Okay, but you know, we do have a studio audience. There's Batman yep. in one room. I know that for a fact. <laughs> There's a, a few um, Yeah, no, thank you, mate. It's um, very humbling, and clearly it's a result of the book. So, uh, And Ted's something I've had on my to-do list and goal list as a speaker for a long time. And as you know, it's been going. The first TED Talk was 2006. And uh, so you think about it now that it's really a big community and so I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's something that we spoke about on one of our earlier on podcasts. Yeah, I mean, it, TEDs should be, um, we don't talk about shoulds, don't we? we talk about musts. Yeah. But it must be part of part of your week. It should be almost be part of your day. There's incredible people out there sharing some rather inspirational and incredible stories. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you're not subscribed up to ted you uh my suggestion is to do so as quick as you can but i'm i'm sure the 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 ted guests are going to get an incredible amount of value out of um of what you share rick which which sort of leads us and i thought you know i wouldn't i am sure our listeners want to hear a little bit about you know the science behind a book yeah i don't know if science is the right word but the the thought process and and what goes into a book the methodology i guess from what goes on in in the mind to then put in it on paper and you're our special guest today, Rick. Rick Rushton, <laughs> welcome on board. Thank you. Uh, can I have my fee then? Like, uh, I don't just do this no, for No, no, it's for love. It's for love. Oh, love. Okay, wow. Okay. I think I'd, I'd be surprised if there isn't a lot of people out there that haven't got that aspiration to write a book. Yeah. So what I'd like today is to dive into your mind and find out how you go about that yep. and, and where it all stemmed from. Yeah. So let's have a really open and, and frank conversation. Take us back first and foremost. Yep. Take us back to where um, where these thoughts first came from. Well, you know, I, it's been on my mental to-do list for probably two decades, to be honest, but early doors, I didn't think I had a lot of, um, you know, currency to really write a book. It really all came to a head in September 2016 and uh, I was actually hosting and speaking at a conference on Hamilton Island and had introduced the speaker that was going to go for the next hour. The next speaker was Matt Church. And for those who don't know Matt Church, just Google mattchurch.com. Well, you don't have to Google it. That'll take you straight to his site. And he sort of um, started a community called Thought Leaders back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And they're responsible for producing some of the best speakers, uh, authors. Uh, They run a business school. And part of that business school is you have to write a book. Right. Uh, Most of these business school graduates will have that self-published because that's the um, easiest path to do. Some will get them published. And he just sort of said to me, based on the fact that this speaker is going to go for the next hour, let's go grab a drink. We had a, uh, a you know sparkling water and we're sitting at the bar at Hamilton Island and he just asked me the question, why haven't you written a book? And 
I just sort of said, you know, same answer I just gave you like a minute or two ago. I just didn't think I had anything of currency to, to bring to the table. He said, look, nice fluffy answer. I'll ask you again, why, why haven't you written a book? And I fluffed around for two or three minutes sort of, you know, not wanting to say the truth. The truth was I didn't think I was valuable enough to write something in paper that was going to have some currency on a bookshelf. And he basically put it into perspective for me. He said, if I can make an observation, most people stop because they, they're trying to write the hero book. And there's only ever going to be one seven habits of highly effective people. There's only ever going to be one think and grow rich. There's only going to be one of these absolute super books. And maybe what you need to do is just write a book that you believe can position your thought leadership in your industry, whatever that looks like. So the good news for, for me at that time was he could see a bigger world than just the real estate world for me. And it just all flew from there. So... Uh, serendipity comes into play because the month before that I'd been approached to buy my real estate business and I'd probably said no. So what year was this? 2016. Mm. And so, you know, September of 2016 at the start, I had a conversation with someone who said, well, if I can't buy, can I do a partnership with you? I was looking into that and then by the end of September, we'd settled on the business. That's how quick it all moved. So, you know, Matt sparked the idea. I uh, was travelling with my wife. She was upstairs at the Reef Hotel. I finished speaking for the day, went up and said, I've just had this epiphany moment with Matt Church. She said, well, I've been telling you you should be writing a book for a long time. And, you know, so it just sort of started from there. I flew home, uh, settled on the business within two weeks after that. And uh, we went on a family holiday for all of October and November into the States. Uh, Started thinking about what I would write a book about. Luckily, then the election was on, the US election was on, so there was a lot of distractions around, you know, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. And, you know, when you looked at their backgrounds and, you know, they'd both written books and published books, I had a look at their sort of stuff. But what I realised very quickly was you can actually have a book written for you or you can just write it yourself and just see where it takes you. So I formed the latter view that if I was going to do it authentically, it was going to be me. So we came back, it was December 2016, finished all the Christmas pre and post stuff. Boxing Day, I started writing it. Valentine's Day 2017, I finished it. Had a book, didn't know what to do with it next, but had it down on paper. So talk us through that timeline again. It was from start to finish? Yeah, uh, Boxing Day 2016, yep. Valentine's Day 2017. So, um, you know, effectively the better part of um, two and a bit months. Yep. But there was a lot of work that went on. Yeah, well, uh, looking back now, it seemed a lot of work, but I've got to be honest with you, when doing it, it just flew. Just flowed. Yeah, mm. I didn't. Uh, my daily routine was, you know, I'd get up, I'd be up. I'm normally up in, in our house, I'm the first one up. So I was uh, up getting changed, uh, go downstairs, same routine. I'd hit our coffee machine, <laughs> grab uh, grab a coffee, no sugar, uh, and sit at my laptop and just start sort of typing away. And uh, it just flew from there. And, you know, it felt like from when Gay and Amelia, you know, my wife and daughter would come and say goodbye to me as they started their day to then them coming back. It felt like an hour or two, but... You know, Gabe would realise I wouldn't even eat sometimes. I'd just be so absolutely immersed in it. At that time, you know, five, six, seven hours felt like maybe an hour to me. So it was uh, easy to do. So the book is The Power of Connection, How to Become a Master Communicator in Your Workplace, Your Headspace and at Your Place. Uh, Wiley have published it. Yeah. And the forward was written by our good friend Paul McGee. Who's uh, on episode uh, 18, 18, I 18, think. 18, 19, yeah, yeah, 18. 18. Yeah. Um, her best-selling author of Sumo, Shut Up and Move On. Yes. The power of connection. And, and before we go on, I just want, I do want to get back to your time blocking and so forth, so I'm not going to skip yep. over that. Sure. Because 
I think, uh, you know, it, it's intriguing the time of day when, when you would actually write something. But let's start from the, the idea yep. behind um, the communication piece yep. and being that master communicator uh, at your workplace, your headspace and at your place. Yep. Talk us through, yeah, talk us through the, the, the passion and, and, and the feeling around communication. Well, you know, that's where I've really built my career is um, being able to connect with others and being able to communicate fairly well. And I get paid to share those concepts on the platform as, as a conference speaker. And, um, you know, but when I really drilled down into it, I didn't want to write something that was just going to be professional. I wanted something that had a personal application as well. And I think there's three arenas we spend a lot of time in that, you know, the big is obviously on the home front. We want to make sure that we're connecting and communicating well, especially in this day and age. You're a father, I'm a father. You're a husband, I'm a, I'm a husband. Our ability to communicate and connect in this day and age where we are so drowned in information at the speed of click and, and yet we are really much craving that deeper connection in these high-tech sort of worlds that we're in. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that it had that personal application. Then the business side of things was clear. I wanted to have something that would have an economic return for somebody if they followed the organising principles of connecting with others. And, and the last part of it is the, the biggest arena we spend the most time with and speak the most in is our own arena when we have our own self-talks. You know, mm. And as someone's now listening to this thinking, what's that little voice, uh, what's this self-talk he's talking about? That's the voice I'm talking about. You know, We have it every day. The one that says we're not good enough, maybe that's not for us. The one that says you cut me off in traffic, so now you start sort of coming up with expletives. That, that sort of internal dialogue really does hardwire us for success or hardwires us for uh, maybe a lack of success. So I want to make sure it was across those three arenas. So the spin you've put on it, I think, is – and actually I think you've, you've written it somewhere in there as well. It's, it's a fresh and modern sort of approach on it. How much over time – of, of, of your time, you know, in communication and, and certainly your current field, how much has that adapted over time? And what I mean by that is, is it is it timeless, the lessons in communication, or is it really this fresh and modern approach? Is, is, is there new stuff or what could you tell us about that? Well, the new stuff is that, you know, you have to operate – fairly quickly like you can't build rapport the old saying was you have 30 seconds to make a great first impression all the research now says is more like three seconds so mm-hmm. it's definitely sped up um, but I think the fundamentals are still timeless I don't think I think they're old coke served up in shiny new cans and you know NLP was an old technology from 1983 to 85 something like that and it still has relevance today there's deeper neuroscience stuff that's out there but I think the fundamentals stay the same, Pete, but I just my, my belief is the timelines have, have just gone really narrow. Like you, you've got to really make an impact very quickly if you're going to connect with somebody because most people's attention spans are very minimal yep. and they'll f- very quickly you know, click on to something else or tune out from you. Like they'll be present, but they won't be present if that makes sense. Yep. They'll, they'll just get through the meeting, not get something from the meeting. They'll get through the collaboration, but not actually be part of the collaboration. So I think... Yeah, you've got to engage people very quickly and I think you have to uh, make sure that you're tuning into who they are. And, you know, one of the fundamentals that still holds true today is people like to deal with people who are just like them or someone they aspire to be. So mm. if you're around someone you really think is like you, you're going to have a lot of fun. And if you're around somebody who, you know, you'd like to be, you're aspiring for growth, they're two things that are very valuable to me. Having fun and growing are two of my core life values. So I can get along with people who are just like me very easily. But how do you get 
in touch with someone who's the exact polar opposite to you. You know, maybe yeah, an introvert that's a challenge, yeah. and maybe someone who's reserved and maybe someone who, you know, probably lights up a room the minute they leave it, but they are important. You want you, you might need them in your world to have some sort of ability to go forward in some area. So, you know, and exactly as you see in the book, there's different ways that people like to have connections and communication. If everyone's the same, there would, there would be one TV station, one radio station. There wouldn't be a 10 cinema complex in your hometown playing, you know, 10, I guess, movies of the same ilk. There's 10 different movies. The reason being is not one movie genre is going to suit the masses. No one music stream is going to suit the masses. So just like there's a variance and a variety of radio stations and TV stations and movie offerings, there's different people you've got two children i've got three uh the same dna same value set raised in the same household but you know our three kids are similar in some respects but they're very different in others and how you want to connect with them and influence them i've got to go one way with one of our children another way with another one and a third way with the other one now if i'm going to get broadcast on one frequency i'll get one out of three as a parent that is a risky number to have to think you're influencing your children yeah, it's almost like I'll put all my, my best efforts into the one, one child that I hope goes well and the other two, if they make it, they make it. No, you have to actually connect with all of them. And so I know with our three children how I have to communicate with them and they're all similar in DNA but they're very different in how they like to be communicated and connected with. I think you've, you've filled the, the book with so many really great stories and I think you can it's very easy to relate to. I think when I read it for the first time yeah. um, prior to being published, it was just... I was so thrilled that I was actually. I knew you pretty well, yeah. but I actually got to know you a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah. And I and and for those who know Rick, now he's got a beautiful wife, Gay. And Gay certainly there's a lot about Gay in the book and so forth. I, I would imagine you met, you learned a lot from her. She's a very strong woman, um, and you know, keeps you on your toes, shall we say? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but but an incredibly intuitive woman as well and yeah. I know she's just been amazing for you yeah sure um, throughout life and and, and as a, as a uh, confidant as a wife as a parent and so forth how much um, how much have you you learned from her along the way oh an extreme amount because as I say and I lead right off with it in the book you know we were very similar in terms of uh, when we got together we were both one of five children we were you know uh, both uh, from adopted mothers um, in a sense that uh, both our mums were nurses in country towns, both our fathers were very similar in their upbringings and the way that they went about life. And, you know, I have a brother and three sisters. She has a sister and three brothers. And I just assumed that she would communicate the exact same way I did. I was about to say, so if you, if you looked at that from the outside, you'd say they're very similar. Yeah, it's yeah. a square plug and a square hole. It should yeah. just fit. It should be a normal fit. But I found we could not have been more diametrically opposed about how we communicated. So, yeah. you know, in a simplistic term, if you and I were brothers growing up and we had a dispute, my father and my mother would leave us in this room till we sorted it out. And if we yelled and screamed at each other, so what? As long as we didn't hit each other, mum and dad wanted us to sort it out. And then once we left the room, they never wanted to hear about it again. In Gay's family, when there was a dispute between a sibling, they had to all leave the room and, until karma heads prevailed and that they, they could come back later on and sort of, you know, maybe have a chat about it. I'm just thinking that is so foreign to me. Mm. So in the book I talk about the fact that our first spirited debate, which others might call an <laughs> argument, you know, as I start sort of raising my voice, Gay gets up and starts walking out. I'm thinking, where are you going? I haven't finished yet. We've got to get back in here and sort this out. And she's going, I will sort it out when you're ready to talk. I'm talking now. She's saying, no, you're shouting now. And when you want to talk, I'll come back. Like I'm thinking that just sends a signal to me that she doesn't love me, doesn't care for me, doesn't 
in fact, she's actually showing love and care by getting out of the room. So it was just one of the rules that I realised she communicated by. I didn't understand it. We had a conflict and it wasn't about us as a couple. It was about us as our rules of communication. So I had to learn some of the things that she sort of held in her own mind and heart as she wanted to be communicated with and I had to give her mine as well. And so we've both made, as all good relationships do, we've we've found a way to sort of get to into each other's world and make sure that we communicate accordingly. But it was a, a change for her, definitely a change for me. I'm, I'm very you know, instant coffee type, really fast, very, very quick. I'm, I drive fast even when I'm not in a hurry. You know, I want to get someone ahead of the queue. If I'm, you know, in, a, in, in anything where there's a queue, I'm looking for the shortest queue. Gay just sort of arrives and doesn't really care. And I, I look at that and go, how do you, why are you not? And then I realise it's because you're not wired like me. But, uh, but again, our upbringing is very similar. Our family lives very similar. Our father's very similar. Our mother's incredibly similar. Our understanding about how to communicate with each other, totally opposite. So, you know, and that's really woke me up to think, well, if that's the person I love more than anyone on the planet, imagine what it's going to be like sort of connecting with strangers. So it really forced me to try and understand the other person before I sort of communicated. And I learned that in a great book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. And he talks about the fact of seek first to understand, then to be, be understood. understood. Yeah. So mm. in the book I talk about tune in before you broadcast, it just makes more sense to me about, you know, having an understanding about the frequency of the other person and then broadcast along their frequency and you've got a much better chance of building rapport. Mm. Gays are a wonderful calming influence, but at the same time, one of the things I love about Gay is she, she'll actually tell you what she's feeling. <laughs> yep, um, she will. Yeah, you won't be left wondering, oh, what, what was she really thinking there? So um, I, I think it, it, it's wonderful and you, you guys really, you know, complement each other in, incredibly well. Let's move on. This book would have been no doubt, I mean, writing a book, I can only imagine and, and I want to delve into some yep. of the things the, the listeners might be thinking. It, sure. It, it, it just seems it would be all very consuming. So is it something you can do whilst doing a full-time job or how did your writing go and what, what, what chunks of time did you allow to actually write? Yeah, and so for me it was a very easy thing to do. And I, understanding, sorry, that, that it could be different for everyone. But, but yeah, you, oh, I, look, I understood that one of the reasons why I didn't write one earlier was because of the fact that it's very hard to do one thing well it's almost impossible to do three things well so to run a real estate practice and a business to then be a speaker and a trainer and a coach to then be an author as well I think something was going to get lost off the production line of focus and attention and output if I sort of tried to do three things at once so it was really just perfect timing. The The business sale happened. It set me up with a, a sort of a clear six months to probably do it in, a, in some sort of format. But I was mentored by the late, great Jim Rohn. And, and Rohn used to say to me about the magic and mystery of book writing. He said, the magic is I wrote five books, he told me. But the mystery was, why didn't I write 25? I had the skills, yeah. I had the talent, I had everything. But he said, it's all about timing. And sometimes the timing chooses the author, not the other way around. And so for me, that was certainly the case. The, the timing was just right. I could write no problems at all. But Rohn used to sort of get into my ear about, Okay, it might be hard to write 700 pages in one go, but could you write one and a quarter pages a week? And the answer is, yeah, you could. Could you write one and a quarter pages a day? And the answer is probably you could. So he said just there's three things with writing a book. He said the first one is break it down. The second point is write it down. And the third part of the process is fit it in. So fit it into your time blocks, whatever that might be. So could you get up an hour early and write, you know, two or three paragraphs? And the answer is yes, you could. Could you stay up later and write a page or two? And the answer is yes, you could. And I've spoken to a lot of authors now who have sort of got in touch after sort of, you know, either reading the book or having it exchanged at conferences where I hand a book over to them and they hand me theirs and 
they're always interested to know what you know what what my process was and how I wrote a book and so I probably did it out of blissful ignorance I didn't understand that there were certain times you should write and shouldn't write and there should be a template you should use and shouldn't use and there should be a certain word count that's the sweet spot for publishers and you know it's a bit like um, Bohemian Rhapsody was apparently way too long to be a uh, you know a hit you know record in the 70s but it was even that five minutes 55 seconds apparently my book's about 4,000 words too short for a publisher to publish it but it did Right. And I did get published by a publisher who got bought out by Audible, which is, you know, the big arm of Amazon out of New York. So, you know, I was just ignorantly blissful to not really understanding what I should and shouldn't be doing. I just wrote. So I didn't question it. I just wrote it. It sort of gets me to that uh, that Gary Vaynerchuk uh, quote of perfection yeah. is the disguise for insecurity. Yep. What would you say to that? I, I agree with it. You know, one of the things that you and I have often talked about as, as friends is we can't let perfection get in the way of progress. So as I was writing, I never questioned anything. You know, I didn't go, yeah, that sounds a little bit corny or, well, that sounds a bit pretentious. I just wrote. Right. And then at the end of the day, I'd look back at whatever I wrote. And if I wrote 10 pages or two pages, then I'd look back for just does this kind of really fit in with what's going on? So I didn't start the linear process of in the beginning and finish with the end and in between was 36,000 words. I actually just come up with concepts and um, there's so many different ways you can write nowadays. There are a lot of apps that can help you. You know, I got recommended to use Scrivener. I looked at it didn't really work for me but Scrivener for those who don't know is an app where you can sort of put down all your information and it's almost like a virtual post-it note where you can pluck it all over a big whiteboard that's Mm. in an app and you can grab it at at a later stage and bring it all together I just found I just thought a bit like how uh, you know without being silly about it but you know I've I've really researched a lot about music because I I love music and how do some of the best songs of all time get written Typically, they get written after there's a lyric that inspires the the writer or an instrumental riff that inspires the musician. And somewhere in between that, they then start building a song around that. And for me, I just knew I wanted to write – if I was going to write anything, it was going to be on communication and connection. If I was going to write anything, it had to be personal, private and self. And the last thing I wanted it to be is a reflection of the ability to say please and thank you because they were two real strong values that were instilled in me as a child and I I think that's what's kind of led me to be able to connect with some pretty powerful people that's uh, enabled this book to come to life because, you know, having written it, it was Valentine's Day and I'll never forget it because I I finished it and I thought, okay, I've got this book now, what do you do? (laughs) So the only person who I knew that I could pick up the phone and speak to who was published was Paul McGee, um, someone who I really rated for his ability to write books. He'd, he'd sort of had 10 books published at the time and he was just going through his 11th one that has come out since. And, you know, he said, you know, mate, get it to me. I'll, I'll love to have a quick look through it. Um, I'm actually travelling this next weekend, so I'll get back to you on Monday. And that was a Friday and I flicked it to him and I never heard from him for two weeks. And I thought, okay, probably not good. <laughs> no news is not great news. So I'm thinking maybe he didn't rate it. But I'll never forget where I was. I was driving with Gay. His, his name came up on my display in my car and I answered the phone and I sort of said, hey, mate, how are you going? And he said, he didn't say Can how Can you do it in his accent? Yeah, he just said, mate, be honest with me. Did you write that? I said, write what? He goes, the book. No, I wrote a book. I don't. <laughs> what's a book? Uh, and he and I said, "Is he laughing right now?" Yeah. He go, and, and I said, "Is it any good?" And he goes, "Mate, flipping amazing." You know. And I said, "Oh, okay." Is it so? Like, yeah. I said, but he actually had an expletive in there. And Paul doesn't swear that much. 
He said it was flipping amazing. I'll let you work out what the real F word was there. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the car with Gay. He goes, hey, Gay, how are you, love? You're good? Great. Okay, so yeah, I get him back to the book. And he goes, mate, it's flipping amazing. Again, I thought, wow, okay. So what do we do next? And he said, I'll put you in touch with my publisher here at Capstone over in the UK, which he did. Uh, they then got back in touch with me and said, look, we like the concept, but we'll it didn't have a heading at that stage. You know, I was just working under the working title of 100% of your success comes from your ability to communicate, but I didn't have the heading. Right. And they sort of said, uh, yeah, we only really – we get a lot more traction out of British authors, So, but um, I'm going to put you in touch with our sister company, Wiley. Um, and they put me through Wiley in Southeast Asia. A lady at Wiley then said, look, I've been reviewing this. I realise you live in Australia. Are you anywhere near – can you get to Richmond? So, you know, Richmond to my house is probably 45 minutes an hour and real bad traffic. So, yeah, I can get there. Why is that? Uh, and she just said, look, um, that's where our head office is. I'm going to connect you with Lucy Raymond. Nothing gets printed at Wiley in this space without her seal of approval. I said, fine. She then emailed me and said, Rick, I've been following this email trail. Given that it comes highly recommended from Paul, I'll do you a favour. I will put you through to a project sheet, fill out the project sheet, um, but just be aware you may wish to self-publish. I said, okay, no problems. So I filled out the project sheet. took me about probably two days. It was pretty full on. It's like, you know, who is going to like this book? What's the itch that this book's going to scratch? Where's the need? How are you filling the need? How does your book separate from every other book on this topic that's out there? It was a real thorough... Yeah, great question. Yeah, they were just, it was the most refined version of a project I've ever seen in my life. Filled it out, thought I did a really good job, sent it to her and she went, uh, okay, sorry, uh, maybe I might not have explained this properly to you. She says, I only work four days a week on a really good day and a really good week for me. She said... I'll get probably 80 books to review on a very bad week for me. I might get 120 of those books we get. I might put one through to a project sheet a week. That's four a month. Of those four we put through to a project sheet, we might publish one a month in this space. I went, okay. I said, it's a bit like salmon upstream. She didn't laugh. It was very crickets. And um, she just said, uh, again, you may wish to self-publish. So from there, I refined it, went back, um, you know, sort of started you know, collaborating with people about a, a you know, potential title, spoke with Paul, spoke with Matt, um, spoke with a marketing guy we both know, Gordon Waring-Smith, um, you know, what would you say? And between them, they all gave me pieces to the puzzle, but it just sort of seemed to fit well about the power of connection. Because you know, Matt said, when I think of you, I think of the power of your connection. When I, you know, um, I think Gordon said, you know, your, your Teledex, your diary, your phone has so many people in there. It's such a great, powerful connection device. You know, if you lost your phone, I'd hate to think if it's not backed up, mm. what that means for you. And, you know, Frank Abagnale, someone who'd written a book, he's sort of saying the same thing. And I'm saying, okay, so there's the... Th- so I way back with that, that was the clincher because Lucy said, you know, I'll paint the picture for you. Good content doesn't get a book on a shelf or off a shelf. What, what gets it on there is... A title, and she says it's a bit like a movie complex theater. If there's a ten cinema complex with ten different movies playing, it doesn't say in cinema one movie, in cinema two movie, in cinema three movie. It gives you a title so you get a hint about what that might be, mm. and because you're seeing that title, it may compel you to get it off the shelf. And she said, so you're going to really need to refine that. So we got that done. Next step was to come in to meet her team. Uh, they kicked it around for a while. Um, it, that was really, it was really almost like Shark Tank. You're almost pitching. <laughs> 
you know, here's the value of the book and you're there with other authors and you're there with other hopefuls. And So how many people are in this room? Uh, in this room, there was about a dozen people. There was everyone from Wiley, their marketing team, their sales team, their production team. It's a real pitch. Yeah, it was a real pitch and, uh, you know, you get nervous when you're in the ante room and you're looking at 12 other people and you know her math says only one's going to go, so only one's going to fly. <laughs> um, so you're just thinking, well, I'm one in 12, I'm in the game, um, you know. And I was just asking any trash talk in uh, the uh, green room. Not <laughs> there was a bit of uh, there was a bit of um, sort of you know is this your first time? It's like yeah, oh this is my third time. And I went oh, okay, good for you, welcome. <laughs> okay, and like as in third, third time, this is going to be your fourth book, or is this the third time that you've been told no? You know, that, <laughs> no, it's none of that. It was a, it was really interesting. It was re- and you get like you know ten minutes to pitch, and then. Um, yeah, and I was just very fortunate that no doubt Paul McGee's endorsement sort of went a long way. There's absolutely mm. no doubt about that because I don't think they actually really read it until they went through with the offer stage. And but then isn't that isn't that part of the whole book? <laughs> isn't that, isn't <laughs> yeah. that part of having the yeah, connections? Absolutely, and the power of those connections. Yeah, uh, yeah, clearly. So. I, I think yeah. The other thing too was, you know, I was thinking as I left there, I said to Gay, she said to me, "How'd you go?" I said, "Look." If I was 10 was really good, zero is no good. I said I was about as close to 10 as I could do. So if I don't get it from there, uh, will I be gutted? No. Will I be disappointed? Probably. Only because it just means I'm going to have to knock on another door. But I'm happy to sort of – because I believe in the project. And um, I virtually had a caller ID barred coming in at the same time. I said, honey, I'll just hang up. I, I'm, I don't really normally take calls from people I don't know. But I got a call straight away from Lucy. She said, look, you're going to get an offer. I suggest you take it. Uh, again, you can self-publish, and I went. No, it's okay. I'll, I'll take the offer, and um, so it sped up pretty quickly. And from there, uh, the, their editing team had a look at it, Pete. And that's probably the the, the big benefit of going through a publisher. You get a, a, a very experienced set of eyes, and a very experienced sort of wordsmith looking at it and just sharpening things. And I was sending off, sort of, you know. Um, excerpts of the book to friends or people I really sort of thought would love reading it and maybe get their opinion of it um, I would then send them my editor's version of that as well and they go I've already read this mate okay just read it again but I've already read it just read it again yeah and then two days ago by or a day ago by or some sometimes it was the same day and they ring me back and they go yeah I've read it what well, I don't get it like why, why did I have to reread it again I go so you couldn't tell the difference they go nah did it sound like me? Mate, I was listening to your voice in my right ear as I was reading it. I was mm. reading it in your voice. I went, awesome, thank you, because I could tell the difference. I could see how they tightened it up. They're just, they're just amazing. What they're, if, you, if you self-publish, good on you. If you can get a book publishing deal, you'll get the benefit of an editor who is just – they're just bloody well. – you can do your own dentistry, but it goes really well if you're using a dentist, I think, right? Yeah. So I think the way I analogized it was that, you know, for me – the you know the book was like dentistry. I can brush my own teeth, I can floss, but for someone who really wants to get the teeth straight, nice and conformed, and really top grade, you need to have a dentist. This is all incredible content. We're great insights into into how to do this. I was wondering um, why there was no interviewee this week, yeah. and I realised it was me. <laughs> but you mentioned before about Scrivener, and um, and probably the last thing we want to talk about today yep. is how you do capture your thoughts. And you, you said that Scrivener wasn't wasn't the way you went. And I've heard other people um, say it's it's either fits um, or it doesn't. Mm. But for you, you, know, you said about Jim Rohn talk, spoke about breaking it down and then writing it down. Yeah. Talk to me. Talk to us about that writing down yeah. process. 
Yeah. How did you capture these thoughts? How did you do it? Did you use folders? Did you just use a Word document or, or, or what? Was there anything fancy that you actually used? Yeah, no, it wasn't too fancy. I just used Word docs. And um, so what I did, I had a master copy and I'd start writing in there. And if I liked it, I kept it in there. And if I had a concept, I'd write it in a, a whole new sort of doc. Uh, and then if I thought it was good enough, I'd just cut and paste it into there. And then I just kept on working under that. It sounds very laborious, but it really worked really, really well for me. It was just sort of I could come up with a concept, right, and I'd read it and I'd go, I'm not questioning it as I'm putting it to you know the computer, whether I'm tapping away or... You know, in the end, I did a combination of tapping away. I did a combination of hitting function twice on the old MacBook Pro and it allowed me to talk into the computer and it would jot it down for me. And, um, and the third thing I did, sometimes I just write my journal just freehand and just think, can I bring any of that across? So the process for me was very simple. I had a master copy. Uh, anything that was good went in there. Uh, anything that wasn't so good sort of stayed out for a while until I thought it was good enough and then I'd uh, throw it in there. And I did start off with... Um, probably a little bit silly, but I started writing um, the intro chapter very easily because that that was probably the premise of the book in many respects. And I wrote the last chapter, <laughs> so I sort of did the first, did the last, and then I worked back and got everything in the middle. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I say got it back into the middle, it just sort of seemed to flow from knowing the ending and knowing the start, um, you know, filling in those blanks. And I'd read enough books over the journey to know that. You know, most books on success are one chapter on success and probably seven chapters on the struggle. So <laughs> I didn't want it to all sound like I'm all over this and I've got it totally under control. But, you know, I had learned some things along the way and if I could share the lessons, it might save someone the heartache or the challenges of not connecting, not communicating, not sort of, you know, collaborating with someone who's going to shift their whole thinking, shift their whole life in many respects. Did you come up with most of it while you were in that zone or would it be driving along and, oh, gee, here's an idea and quickly grab the phone and... That's a great question. Gee, that's a great question. You know what, it just, it just hit me exactly what I did. And so um, in, in the research, I was going back looking at old PowerPoint presentations. I haven't used PowerPoint for probably a decade, but I went back and looked at some old PowerPoint sort of presentations and it just reminded me of some fundamentals, which was really good. And then what I would do... If I needed a break, I'd put the headphones on, I'd listen to music, but not really listen to the words, and I'd go out in my garden. So everyone who comes to our house goes, geez, you've got an amazing garden. You know, your gardener must be amazing. I'm thinking, well, that was me. Because what would happen is I would just get lost in the thoughts and I'd be just you know, cutting grass or trimming hedges or doing something like that, raking leaves, and a thought would come into my brain and I could crystallise the thought. And, I, and, and straight away, I just sometimes I'd leave the lawn half done or I'd leave the hedges half done, take the headphones off, get back in and start writing. And I might write again for the balance of the night. So one of the things I've learnt from being around a lot of authors that have written multiple books, they talk about their prime time to write. For me, it was whenever the thought caught me, I, I would write. Now, I could do that because I was in an economic situation with you know selling the business that I had some money behind me and I could do that fairly easily but I think that's still how I would have done it I think I would have had the inspiration at the moment and sometimes I was driving along getting lost in my thoughts and thinking that's something I must do so I just found it was very easy once I got the thought to actually write about it um, next opportunity whether that be later that day early the next morning late at night I didn't have a set routine I just sort of got up and wrote. We've spoken before about Jerry Seinfeld writing a joke a day and John Grisham writing a page a day in the book were there any days where you just go you know what that's just not in me today, uh, or or was it pretty consistent? I didn't get those days. I'll be really honest. It was very easy for me to write. What where I, where I did struggle was how does this flow? Like does this does this 
sequentially flow from chapter one to chapter two to chapter it doesn't make sense and i'm not very good left brain analytics i'm not great at that i hate excel spreadsheets i hate anything that's very high detailed i'm like and people don't know this but our podcast you know we've now done 20 odd episodes i don't know where to plug in anything i don't know how to do anything and i don't want to know how to do that stuff what i do want to know is who are we interviewing and how can we get the best out of them and so i'm very good at that concept i think when i say very good i think i'm no better than anyone else but i'm certainly no worse either and so what i could do i could write very easily what i didn't know was whether it was actually making sense it was making sense to me, but did it did it flow in a book, so to speak? You spoke of two teachers in the book, Mr. Everett and Mr. Mac or Mr. McConnell. Yep. What would they say to you right now? Well, I've been fortunate to speak to both of them. Mm. I mean, um, you know, as I write in the book, Jeff Everett, who was the first real great male role model I had in my life after my brother, who's seven years older than me, he was really the one who set me on this course in many respects. He uh, plucked me from obscurity really in my school career at that stage I was he was my year seven maths teacher and um you know I hated maths and so uh but I loved sport and he loved sport so we were able to connect through sport and he was the one who got me to sort of learn how to speak in public to form some sort of an idea and share it with multiple people uh he was great but clearly the man that had the biggest impact on me to get me away from just seeing school as an interruption between sports um sort of pursuits was Alan McConnell. He was my year seven uh, PE teacher and, uh, you know, at the time he was playing in the elite of the, what is now the AFL system. It was VFL back then. He, he was playing for Footscray. He played for Fitzroy. Not two powerhouse clubs, but this guy was playing elite sport. And he really nailed me um, at a time when I really probably needed it. And his ability to sort of get me to see the rest of school just the same as I saw sport. He'd said something that was really profound. He said, I don't even think you're aware that there's a scoreboard in these other subjects, but there is, and I'm telling you right here, right now, you're behind and you're way behind. You don't have the – it's not that you don't have the ability to get in front on the scoreboard. It's just that you don't see that there's a scoreboard, so I'm telling you there is. And it really – had he said that to me a year or two earlier, I probably would have just fobbed it off. But the old saying is when the student's ready, the teacher appears. It was just the perfect timing, and so he really – compelled me to get better at and funnily enough the thing I actually loved after sport was daylight then from daylight there was English and I used to write I used to like writing but I didn't know why Mm. and um, so yeah without that influence there's no way that this book would have uh, uh, you know when he when I gave him his copy signed he laughed and he said I reckon you've written one more book than you read at high school and I said I think you're right (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly do think he's right there but but between those two teachers they were and uh, you know I was really thrilled and chuffed to speak at a teacher conference principals conference in um perth last september of 2018 and you know i was able to share that story uh, to a room full of educators 770 school principals from australia and new zealand and i said must have been a barrel laughs. yeah it was <laughs> they were a tough crowd early but they uh, I, I just said you know never lose sight of the fact that you know, teachers should be probably paid the same as heart surgeons. If you can change, mm. you know, the heart share of a child, you've probably changed their whole life. And I was, you know, a real product of that. And so, um, you know, not surprisingly, out of 770 cool teachers, message. yeah, they they loved it and they bought about 200 copies of the book too. So that was pretty good. <laughs> but uh, otherwise there's going to be a lot of boxes to come on home. But <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was very, very fortunate to have that. And right throughout my life, Peter, I've been – just, you know, some would say lucky, others would say opportunity meets preparation. I don't know what it is, but certainly I've been fortunate to be around some amazing people who've just been prepared to give. And so, you know, I've been very fortunate to... Uh, but that's be been a two-way street, mate, because you've you've given an incredible amount to so many people. I know so many people will be out listening now and just be thinking of, 
of, of what you've shared with them uh, along the journey. Yeah. So congratulations on Thank that. You, the book is is exceptional. Now you know. You're one of my best mates. I, yep. I love you dearly. <laughs> so you're not going to be uh, balanced we, in your approval. No, well, well, I, I did have my doubts when you sent me, <laughs> uh, sent me that um, uh, excerpt from the book. Yep. But what I love about it is that it's just so authentic. Yeah. And and knowing you and, and the enormous amount of conversation so that we've had over the years yep. and, and to read this, it, it's, it's the real deal. It's It, it speaks volumes of who you are. Yep as a father and a husband and, and as a great educator. And so many people have so much to owe to you for, for what you've given them over the time. This book, The Power of Connection, as I said before, is, is, is one of the great reads. And it's, it really does, you know, look at um, in-depth at um, how we do communicate, particularly in the times we're in right now. And that's why I said before about yeah. fresh and modern yeah. because it really does give you – it's not like you're – you're reading about someone who wrote about this, you know, a hundred years ago yeah, or whatever. This yeah. is about this is about right now and the stuff that we face on a day to day basis. And I think there's some some great insights there that people can take away. So I want to say congratulations on that, and and for you to speak on the TED stage, the TEDx stage yeah. coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm sure everyone would want to wish you all the best. Thank you, mate. With that, that's uh, that's going to be incredibly exciting. I think I might be more nervous than you, uh, <laughs> but um, but 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 wow, what a thrill! <laughs> who would have thought, you know, just this little little kid from Voices of Value and gets it. on the TEDx stage. Who would Boy have thought? Boy from Baronia. Huh? Yeah, they said, yeah. look, we've, we've, we've read Baronia the book. and German Shepherds walking pairs out there That's as well. it. That's exactly how it works. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, I went to Baronia High, which was number one in the state for truancy, I think. And um, But, uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, the TED Talk is an absolute direct correlation from the book. It came from a connection with someone who wanted to meet up with me who wanted to write a book. Uh, and had a connection through TED and Chris Anderson is the uh, the curator of TED Global uh, and so to get the opportunity through just uh, not not meeting this person because there was a chance for a TED talk I didn't even know it till I was meeting him but um, to get that opportunity is again just the <laughs> fine example of the power of connection you just meet people see if you can help them don't try and hurt them see if you can help them along the way and uh, the, the return on that for me is a TED talk well no doubt you've provided our listeners today with enormous amounts of insight into what it is to write a book. I just thought it was just you know, a couple of words on a paper and then away we go. But there's <laughs> incredible to look at the, the journey of, um, of a published author yep. like yourself, Ricky Rushton. And, uh, and thanks for sharing and um, I hope everyone out there has got enormous amounts of value from this. Perfect, mate. And again, like uh, if I can help anyone with that, if you've got that sort of goal, certainly private message me and I'll be very, very clear on you know, my advice to you around that, but uh, it's easy, as Jim Rohn would say, easy to do, easy not to do. So, yeah, it's easy to get sort of caught up in it. But, mate, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, do I get paid for this interview? I'm no, just I asking. think we've mentioned that. No, no, okay. no, you don't. I don't do this for the money. Um, I still no. take the money, though. Yeah. But I was just, <laughs> just, there's no money on offer here? Okay. No, All right. no, that's just a giving not. thing. Okay. Anyway, Who, see you later. Can I interview you next no, week? You, you, that's it now. It's over. Oh, done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Done. See you next week. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com. And we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. 
Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice and the value-added way.